Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And we want you to know here at Plymouth that we are uh, at the same time and live with Northridge Brighton as well. They are live streaming. So welcome, Northridge Brighton. We're excited for you on the second big week of your church experience there in Brighton. And if you're a guest, Northridge Church is one church family, but we are in four different locations, not only Northridge Brighton and Plymouth, but also Northridge Grosseal and Northridge Saline. And so we are so excited that you're a guest wherever you're at in whichever campus. And if you are a guest, we are in a new series called The Book of Mark. And this is part two. If you want to catch up, you can go online. We give all of our talks for free, both video and audio. And you can go to northridgechurch.com and catch up on that. And if you're watching online, welcome to Northridge Church. I tell you, in our world, it seems that good news is very hard to come by, isn't it? Now, some of you I know still watch a lot of TV news. Others of you, maybe like, more like me, use news services that are online and those kind of things. But wherever you look in any kind of traditional news outlet, there is generally bad news. There's nothing like bad news. There's just nothing like a crisis that, to draw a crowd. And there's plenty of crisis to go around. But, but you know, we kind of beat up on, on traditional news sources as being all about bad news. But if you think about it, most of the, the news that we get in our own personal lives is often just bad news. I mean, we get a lot of bad news. I'll give you an example, kind of a trivial example, but it still works. When, if you've ever been a parent, if you've ever had children in school, Let me ask you this question. When you get a call from your kid's school, is it usually good news or bad news? Yeah. They don't call to say, your kid's the greatest kid in the world. No. They call to say, we would rather your kid no longer came here kind of stuff. I mean, usually it's bad news in our personal lives. Or they're calling about bad news regarding the school itself. You know, nowadays that, you know, if it's 50 degrees, they keep kids home from school because, God forbid, they go to school in the cold. Or, or you know, my daughter recently got a, school, a call from the school that said there was a lice outbreak. Well, there's some good news for you, right? Uh, and, and so in, even in our personal lives, Often the news we're getting, the things that are being reported to us, are bad things, you know, things that are a little bit more discouraging. But as much bad news as there is, every single one of us, irregardless of where we're at in life, what the circumstances are, every single one of us along the way has at least an occasional piece of good news, something that maybe we'd even categorize as great news. I know I've had my fair share of really good news. Though I can whine with the best of them, I really have. Uh, I'll give you some examples. I mean, there was this time that she said, yes, I'll marry you. That was great news, especially since I had already asked a hundred other women who had said no. I mean, this was, this was great news. She said yes. And then, you know, three years after we had been married, she said, we're pregnant. And that was really, really good news. I hadn't been a parent yet. It was really good news at the time. And, and then, you know, when our first child, uh, our first daughter was born, her name's Carissa, I mean, that was great news. And then our, our second child was born, and, and the doctor said, it's a boy. And I'll, I'll just be honest, that was news. Um, uh, actually, it was great news, still is. And I remember about 25 years ago, 
when um, I believed God was calling me into this church ministry, and it was a very different church at the time, trust me. I mean, it was a very a struggling environment, but, but I believe God had called me here, and I'll never forget when I got the call that they had, um, they had voted and affirmed that I was supposed to come here as pastor. That was really, really good news to me at that time. And now 25 years later, quite frankly, it's still the greatest privilege of my life, along with being married to my wife, Roxanne, and having my kids t- to be a part of this church. But, but do you know what I have found about good news? I mean, we all want good news. We all kind of beg for good news. But what I have found about good news is that it often comes with a huge additional amount of work responsibility. I mean, anyone who's ever been married, and by the way, being married to Roxanne for 35 years, greatest privilege of my life, greatest gift of my life, but I'm just going to tell you, it was easier to date than to be married. Right? And so she said, yes, I'll marry you. I didn't know what kind of responsibility and work that would involve because it takes a lot to learn how to be everything she wants me to be. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of work. And same thing with being a parent. If you've ever been a parent, you know. I mean, the, it's great news to be a parent. But the responsibility that's added is unbelievable. And my kids now are 32, 31, and 28. It never ends, right? I mean, it's, the work's never done. And so good news often comes with responsibility, with more struggles with more cause for burden and stress and anxiety, and it can leave you weary. But many of you know when you hear about the good news of God, you know, the Bible calls the message of Jesus good news, that often you react to it as you would to what you've discovered good news is in this world. I I know I do. Jesus' message, his very beginning message, as the book of Mark tells us, is uh, this is the good news of God. But, But I've learned that good news comes with other stuff. I'll never forget when my parents called us and said, we've got a gift for you. We want, we want to take your whole family on a cruise. We thought, yeah, ooh, we're running around, dancing, having a great time. It's going to be a four-night cruise. Little did I know, you get on the cruise, if it's only four nights, you're back in three seconds, right? But, but they gave us a cruise. It was a great gift. But you know what they didn't give us? The airfare down to the cruise, all the different things associated with it. And so I learned good news means, uh-oh, there goes the budget. You know, good news means, uh-oh, what else is expected of me? And so all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and he's saying, I've got the good news of God. And I immediately go, uh-oh, what's that mean for me? What's he want from me? In fact, this is what I hit. What's that going to cost me? And I kind of view everything he talks about and everything he asks for through the lens of, oh, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Like it's a cost. But here's the reality, and you need to understand it. The good news of God is not like the good news in this world where it increases your responsibility, where it makes life harder, where it increases your weariness. And that's not what it's supposed to be. Now, some of you might say, oh, yes, it is. I have found that since I've been a Christian or since I've been a part of church or since I've done this, it's just harder, life's harder, it's more work. I'm going to tell you right now, it is a polluted message. It is a deceptive message in the name of Jesus if it makes you more weary, more burdened than more at, f- at free and at rest. And, and I believe so many places are teaching a 
good news that's really a bad news, and we need to know the difference. And Mark helps us. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. There it is. And here's the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. What's that mean? It's simply saying the time to fulfill God's promise had come. He'd been promising ever since Adam and Eve had sinned, had, had, had experienced the loss of God as their God, God as their king, the loss of paradise. Ever since that time, God had been promising that he was going to fix the problem. He was going to make right our wrongs. And Jesus is simply saying, the time has come. Okay, there's no bad news in that. Then he says, the kingdom of God is near. Now, we don't speak kingdom language. We don't go around saying, my kingdom, your kingdom, generally speaking. But, but in truth, when you understand what a kingdom is, every single one of us is building a kingdom. Every single one of us. What was lost when Adam and Eve sinned was God's kingdom. Him being king, him being leader in their life, him making all the provision of their life and the paradise only he could bring. And what they had left was themselves. And they couldn't even do it together because that fell apart. They were blaming each other. They went to war with each other as all human beings do along the line. And so they only had their kingdom. What we presently have in this world is our kingdom. That's what we presently have in this world. And by our, I don't mean collectively, though this world is certainly the product of our kingdoms. But when I say our kingdom, I mean my kingdom, your kingdom. We all have our little kingdom where we're at the center. And every single one of us is playing king of our own kingdom. And every single one of us has a different idea about what would make a good kingdom. And it's all about what makes me comfortable, what's easiest for me, what best benefits me. And here's the interesting thing. I'm king of my kingdom, and I'm making decisions that are good for me. You're king of your kingdom, and you're making decisions good for you. And very often, they're at conflict with one another, correct? And then add your kingdom and my kingdom to six plus billion other kingdoms and all the agendas are contrary and all the priorities are different and the methods of leading are there and integrity is certainly lacking because we're ultimately going to get what we want and we have a lot of kings doing a lot of different things and it creates nothing but a lot of problems and it gets worse because you see, we weren't created with the capacity to be king of a kingdom. To be king of a kingdom, you have to have the power to rule, the power to provide. You have to have the wisdom to make the right choices or else the kingdom's going to go bad. And we've seen lots of kingdoms go bad, especially our own kingdoms. Because you see, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so it's impossible for us to make the right choices. We don't have the power or the capacity to provide all of our needs. This is why we have to manipulate and leverage, and some people even steal and compromise and lie and cheat in order to get the things, because they don't have the power to get their own. And so we don't have the capacity to be king of a kingdom, but because we no longer have God in our lives, that's all we've got. And it creates all kinds of conflicts and problems because we don't have the capacity and so we have to take from one another and it's just a big, bad mess. Now you understand why the news is so bad. But Mark comes along and tells us that Jesus announces good news, the good news of God. And his good news is that our messed up kingdom can be exchanged for God's beautiful kingdom. Our messed up lives can be exchanged for the life, the world that God intended. A world where the rightful king, 
the one with the power and ability and wisdom to be king, is on the throne, creating the right kind of world and providing the right kind of lives for all of his people. You know what the good news really is? And this, there's no shadow in this at all. The good news is that we don't have to struggle anymore to do what we have no capacity to do, to be king of our kingdom. Now, I have to put things into life form for me to understand them more profoundly. And so, I, I think about it this way. Have, have you ever tried to do something that you weren't skilled or equipped to do? Have you ever tried to do that? Oh, my. I'm going to tell you. I, I try it all the time because I'm skilled for very few things in this world. And so, you know, I'm trying to do things I'm not skilled or gifted to do. But I'm going to tell you, one of my profound weaknesses comes with construction. Some of you can work with your hands, right? You can work with your hands. You can take a tool. You can make beautiful things. I, like, I, I love the people. We have volunteers who build these sets. And I mean, they're unbelievably talented with their hands. If I had to build this set, there'd be a ball of yarn in the middle that I stole from someone. I mean, I just, I couldn't do it. If, if I try and work with my hands and to build something or construct something, I'm going to tell you the result is always the same. It is a struggle followed by failure. More struggle followed by failure because I don't have this capacity to do it. Well, this is exactly what we have in this world where we're forced to be king of our kingdom and we don't have the skill set or capacity to do it. This is why we make such bad choices. We fail. We were never meant to be king of our own kingdom. Here's the good news. The good news that Jesus announces is that in life, the struggle can be over. Because the one equipped to be king of the world, the creator himself, has come. And then he gives us the really good news of the good news. Because I go, okay, that's the good news. You're king. Now what's that mean to me? I mean, what's that going to cost to me? And the good news is there's no cost. In fact, he pays the cost. He says, here's the good news. You can experience the fulfillment of my promise. You can experience my kingdom and the paradise that you don't deserve, but that I'm going to provide for you. And all you have to do is repent and believe the good news. That's all you have to do. Now, a lot of people don't know what those words mean. Maybe believe you think you do. But the Bible word repent, simply, it was a real world word that means turn around. Talking about if you're going this way, go that way. It's like 180 degrees difference. Turn around. And so when he says all you have to do is repent, what he's saying is you have to stop trusting yourself as king. You have to stop acting out the part of king. You have to stop making choices as if you're king. Stop, repent of that, turn away from that, and believe, which means turn to him. Trust him to be king. Trust his wisdom. Trust his choices. So repent and believe. That's all you have to do. You mean, wait a minute, all I have to do is stop trusting myself and start trusting him? And then I get to experience his kingdom? Good news. Here's the truth I want you to see that Mark's telling us at the beginning of his book. Jesus is the good news of God. Jesus is the good news of God. Now, if you've ever heard the word gospel before, there are some translations of the Bible that talk about, you know, this is the gospel of God. The, the book that we're looking at, the book of Mark, is often called the gospel of Mark. Well, gospel is made up of two words put together as one. The first the prefix word is joy or joyful or good. The, the, the real word is, word is news. But it's not just typical news like they'd report on the evening news. This is, this is like an event that has occurred that has changed the world in a very powerful and positive way. 
the gospel, joyful news, world-changing, positive, transformative news. And it's not a, a Bible religious word. It didn't start there. It started in the secular world. The word gospel, good news, was used to announce the birth and ascension to the throne of great kings. Great example would be the gospel of Augusta Caesar. Augusta Caesar. The gospel. In other words, he was born, he's become Caesar, and the world will forever be positively transformed in their view the gospel of Caesar. There was also the announcement of military defeats where they say we have defeated our enemy and we have positively transformed the world forever. In their view, they would call that military defeat a gospel. We've got a gospel for you. Well, Mark says Jesus came into this world and he took that word gospel, good news, and he says an event has happened that has positively and forever changed the world. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. That event is my coming. I'm going to change the world. Now, what you have to understand about this good news, if you think deeper into it, is that it reveals the difference between all other religions and the message Jesus brought us. All religions in this world, I don't care what name you put to the religion, I don't care who the prophet was that started the religion, I don't care any of that. All religions of the world are the same But the gospel of Jesus Christ is different. Now, know this. Many people have turned the good news of Jesus Christ into religion, and so it's become the same thing as other religions in this world. And that's what we have to understand if we're going to experience what Jesus came to give us instead of religion. But every religion of the world is different from the good news Jesus came to give us. Let me explain. All other religions offer instruction... I mean, principles, cliches, tenets. All other religions offer instruction as to what we should do or what we have to do to fix our problem, right? They come along and say, you want to fix the problem. You've got a problem. You want to fix the problem. This is what you should do. Confucius says, or Buddhist says, or Muhammad says. This is what you should do to fix your problem. This is what you have to do if you're going to make a better way in this world. This is what you have to do if you're going to experience life's best. This is what you have to do if you're going to earn what God wants for you. You know what religion really is? When it comes down to it, just look at the tenets of all religions. It, it's, it's all about coping. World's an ugly place. We're messed up people. But if you do these things, you'll be able to cope better. It's all about struggling. It's all about laboring. It's all about seeking to live in a way that doesn't come naturally to us. I grew up in the Christian religion, okay? And in the Christian religion, here's what I found. Everything they said I shouldn't do, by nature, I did. Do I have anybody that can relate to that? Okay, the rest of you can go to another church or don't even come to church at all. You're perfect. I mean, everything they said I was supposed to do, I naturally didn't do, and everything they said I shouldn't do, I naturally did. And just so you know, I'm in good company. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, in talking about his days in religion before he really knew the good news of Jesus, said, that which I wanted to do, I didn't do, and that which I didn't want to do, that's what I did, and it's exactly right. Religion's all about creating a bigger struggle trying to get us to do things that don't come naturally. The good news of God that the book of Mark tells us Jesus came to give us, the good news of God 
True Christianity is very different. It's not instruction telling us what to do. Now, don't get me wrong. You can turn on the TV. You can pick up books. You can go to churches all over the world where they're getting up, and they're making it sound like the good news. This is good news. Jesus came in the world. Good news. This is what you're supposed to do to fix your problem. This is what you're not supposed to do if you're going to fix the problem. Good luck with that. But that's not what Jesus came to give us. The good news of Jesus isn't that we now know what to do to fix our problem. Instead, Jesus comes and announces what God has done to fix our problem. Religion says this is the struggle if you're going to try and live right. Jesus comes and says, I have taken the struggle on for you so that you can be free. The good news isn't that you now know what to do. The good news is you now know that God has already done it. What God has done to fix our problems is what Jesus announces. What God has done to give us a better world. What God has done to help us experience life at its best. To what God has done so that we can know the life he wants for us. You know, true Christianity, the message Jesus came to give us is a good news because it's not about coping, it's not about laboring, it's not about struggling, it's about freedom from those things. It's not about adding to our work and our responsibility and making life even harder, it's about rest. Uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus said it right out. Look at Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I mean, life's a struggle, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And he was talking to religious people. You're just absolutely struggling, and at the end of yourself, come to me, and I'll give you, what's that word? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I look at religion all over the world and the religion of Christianity all over the world, and you know what I see? A bunch of weary, burdened, desperate, defeated, despairing people saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, good news, you can be as miserable as me. And I'm telling you, you know why most of the world doesn't want to have anything to do with the good news of Jesus? They see what bad news it was for us, and they want nothing to do with it. But that's not what Jesus came to give us. Jesus didn't come to increase the burden and make life a bigger struggle. Jesus came to set us free, to give us rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you, a yoke was like a wooden contraption that would, would go over the head of two oxen and help them make lighter work. Two would work together in harmony. And he says, Jesus says, if you would yoke yourself to me and learn from me, you'd learn I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm not trying to make your life worse. I'm not trying to make it a bigger struggle. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And if you yoke yourself to me, you're going to find rest, not burden, Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I'm telling you, the good news of Jesus is unique in our world because religion is so different. Religion focuses on our struggle. Religion is rituals and rules made by men, and there's nothing absolutely wrong with the rituals or the rules, but they make the rituals and rules the point, and that becomes a struggle. And so the religion focuses on the struggle. Here's what religion does. It teaches us how to live under the circumstances. By the way, you know what happens when you're under the water? You drown. And that's what religion does. Religion teaches us the best techniques 
for struggling. You'll struggle a lot better if you do these things. You'll struggle a lot better if you don't do these things. It teaches us what we have to do. It usually adds to our guilt, religion does. It certainly did to me. Because, because it's asking us to do things we don't naturally do and to not do things that we naturally do. And because we're going to fail in that, it then makes our guilt more profound. How many of you, this is a rhetorical question, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have found that religion just makes you feel more guilty than you ever felt before? It's like, I don't, and this is why we go, I don't need, I don't need to go to church for, for myself to feel really bad about myself. I mean, I feel, I look in the mirror and I feel really bad. I don't need you telling me how messed up I am. Thank you very, very much. And I get it. And that's what religion does. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came to give us rest. And here's the interesting thing about religion. There's no escape. There's no real hope. Because, you know, it's about what you do, what you do. And you say, oh, yeah, there's an escape when you die. No, you see, not really. Because you'd think, okay, when you die, if you've really really worked hard in life for God, then, you know, things would be okay when you die. You could die at peace. You're going to go to heaven. But, but no, it's, it's a hope so, but not a no so in religion because... See, whether you get to be with God or not is based upon what you do. And you know, you never know if you've done enough. You never know. And so you keep working and working and working and it never gets more peaceful. You never get more joy because you never know if you've done enough. The, the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is very different. You know what Jesus focuses on? The victory, not the struggle. Jesus focuses on how God has made it possible for us not to live under the circumstances in the struggle, but how God has made it possible for us to live above the circumstances. The good news teaches us how God himself did the struggling. It teaches what God has already done. How all we have to do is repent, stop trusting ourselves, stop being king of our own world, and believe. And when we do, we can experience rest. And it's guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection. It's not a hope-so, it's a no-so deal. Now, interestingly, Mark then goes on in his opening salvo of the book to picture for us the difference between the bad news of religion and the good news of God. The, the, The difference between the struggle of religion and the rest that comes with God. Look at Mark chapter 2. I'll show you one example, starting with verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. Now, just stop. A Sabbath, you might not know what a Sabbath is. A, a, a Sabbath is a day of rest. It's, it's rest. God created the world, the book of Genesis tells us, in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And he used that as an example for us because the way he designed us, we, we can run out on our energy. We can deplete our energy. We can lose our strength. And so he made us to need to recharge, to restore, to replenish. And so he said, you need to take a Sabbath day in order to recharge, to replenish your energy so that you can go about life. All right? So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Now let me put you in the picture so you can experience this. Have you ever walked through a big meadow that had a ton of tall grass in it? You know, those tall stemmed things with the little feather kind of stuff at the top. Have you ever been that? Okay. Have you ever like been walking through this beautiful day, sun shining, you're in this meadow, the grass is going like this, and have you ever like picked one of those things and then put it in your mouth and chewed on that? Some of you have probably tried to light it. It doesn't work. I've tried it too. So, But anyway, it's like, it's like, you know, you put it in your mouth. 
That's not a big burden to carry, right? I mean, you, you pluck a little weed and you put it in your mouth. It's like, man, you could put bib overalls on and be, you know, king of the world. It's just a beautiful moment. But look at what happens with religious people. This is what they're doing. They're just picking grain. They're kind of sucking on the thing. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, said to him, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? I'm sure Jesus looked at them and said, they're sucking on some grain. This is not hard work, right? Why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? This is awful, you know? And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made, this is so important, the day of rest, the Sabbath, was made for man. Man wasn't made for Sabbath. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, at the Sabbath was made for man so that man would be able to, you know, human beings would replenish and restore and be reinvigorated spiritually, emotionally, physically. It's a, it's a positive thing to give them rest. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't meant to be a burden to create a greater struggle, to be all about defeat and guilt and shame and rules and rituals. It was meant to replenish us. It wasn't meant to suck us dry. And then he says, and I know because I'm the Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of man is a term he called himself. I'm the Lord. I, I know. I made the Sabbath. It's not about making life worse. It's about making life better. But I'm telling you, religion always makes life worse because it heaps more responsibility, more guilt, more trouble, and more weariness onto our plate. And it's not like there's enough already of that. And then he goes, that's probably not big enough. So often in the Bible, it kind of shows it again and again. And so in Mark 3, he shows the same thing. This is so important. Look at verse 1. Another time... Jesus went into the synagogue. That was like the church of the day, kind of like what we're doing where they would communicate truth. And a man with a shriveled hand, a paralyzed, messed up physical hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. By the way, don't you feel like that in church sometimes? Religion growing up, I always felt like everybody's looking at me and none of them had a smile. What is this boy going to do next? So I gave them the finger, and they knew what I was going to do next. You know, that was kind of the way it went. I mean, it was like this horrible, I hated church. It was oppressive. It's like everybody's snarling and judging. And that's what's going on here. You see, the Bible's alive if you'll just read it right, okay? Then, Then it goes on, and it says this. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, let me ask you, what's lawful on the Sabbath? What's the best way to use the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? Now, they, now, if we're here to serve the Sabbath, the good thing would be to obey all the rules of the Sabbath. But if the Sabbath is here for us to restore and replenish us, then the good thing would be to replenish this guy, to restore this guy, to bring this guy to health. He says to save life or kill. And, and they remained silent. Of course they did. Start talking about anything positive with religious people and they're going to have a miserable moment. Well, this doesn't make me feel bad. This is horrible. You know, it's like ridiculous what goes on with these people. They remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger. I love it that Jesus got angry. Kind of justifies my feelings most days. And anyway, he looked around at them in anger and he, de- he was deeply distressed at their stubborn, messed up hearts. 
And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Oh, my gosh. What, what is the Sabbath for? The Sabbath is to restore us, to replenish us, to refresh us. What did he do to this man? He restored his hand on the Sabbath. This is awesome. Anybody who cared about people in that moment would have just stood up and shouted. Anyone who really wanted to know God in that moment would have stood up and shouted, don't you agree with that? This is awesome. Finally, something great's happening in church. Look at how the religious leaders. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Religion doesn't value people. Religion values the rules and the rituals and the traditions. It kills. It's a burden. But that's not the good news. Religion is about the struggle, the struggle of trying to earn what we can't possibly earn, of being what we can't possibly be, of escaping what we can't possibly escape. And it makes us more weary, and it puts us in a tiny little box of rules that ultimately shrivels our hearts. You see, that guy had a shriveled hand that God could restore. But these religious leaders had shriveled hearts that were beyond God's reach because they wanted to be king of their own kingdom. Religion wants us to live and cope with our brokenness, to, to keep living in our brokenness. The good news of God is very different. It's not about the struggle. It's about rest. It's about experiencing a healthy life. It's about experiencing not a shriveled heart, but a heart full of love, full of peace, and full of joy. Do you know why there's so much conflict and, and war between us human beings? It's because we're all so much consumed by the fight and the struggle to exist ourselves that we just walk over each other or ignore each other. But, but the good news of God gives us the ability to care about others because our hearts are full, not empty. Our lives are complete, not broken down. The good news is about experiencing healing from our brokenness, not coping with it. Now here's my burden as a believer who often gets this wrong myself because I'm often struggling and trying to cope instead of resting in the good news of Jesus. But as a pastor, I am so burdened down by this reality most people, even most people here, have found the idea of knowing God and walking with God to be a greater struggle and a greater burden and to create greater conflict than it has been to give them greater rest and greater freedom. It's like every time they hear a message of God's truth, it's like, oh, one more thing I have to do. I have to give. You know, I have to forgive. Most of us would rather give money than forgive people's betrayals, right? I mean, and it's just all these things. But I'm telling you that the good news of Jesus isn't about one more thing we have to do. It's about what he's already done. And so he's been able to fill our hearts in such a way that we can finally live in the way we have always longed to live. Because we don't want to be angry people. We want to be loving people. We don't want to be miserable people. We want to be hopeful people. We want to be people not living in sorrow but living in joy 
joy. We want to be people living above the circumstances, not below the circumstances, but we never will as long as we choose to be our king and religion is our way to maintain our kingdom. But if we just turn to him, we'll experience rest. So here's my question. Which describes what you're experiencing? The struggle or the rest? And your answer, and you should be honest, because we lie to ourselves and we only hurt ourselves. If you're honest with your answer and it comes up, you know, I'm struggling and coping. I'm not being healed from my brokenness. I'm, I'm not experiencing the good news. Then, then you need to know, for some reason, you've been packaged or you've bought into the idea that the good news is different than what it is. And you need to repent and believe in the true good news. So Mark tells us, he starts off telling us about the good news, what it is. Jesus is the good news. And, and all it takes to experience the good news, no more responsibilities and struggling, all it takes is you stop trusting yourself because you were never meant to be king, and you believe, you start trusting what God has done, what Jesus has done. It's not about more work and more struggling, it's about rest. But then, as good a news as that is for me, that's not the best part of the news, because the news gets even better. Mark goes forward. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Simon became the apostle Peter. So he saw Peter, Simon, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Interesting. Come follow me. If you follow me, I will make you. I will make you. What did religion say? Come do these things and you'll make yourself. It's not the way it is. He makes us. And then it says that once they left their nets and followed him. And most people read that and go, wow, they left family and friends and vocation and career to follow him. Oh, my gosh. There it is. Good news. Now let me tell you about all the responsibilities that come with it. Good news. Now let me tell you about all the things I want from you. Let me tell you about all it's going to cost you. Good news. And we look at this and say they had to give up so much. And we start going, man, you mean I'm going to have to give up that much? No. They didn't follow Jesus so that they could earn their keep and pay for their redemption. They followed Jesus because they realized he was everything they were looking for. And in giving up everything they had for him, they were gaining everything they couldn't experience on their own. They followed him. And so Mark's saying, here's the good news. The king has come. The world can change. You can be changed. And the good news goes further because it says he's called us to follow him. Mark, in telling us about Peter and Andrew and James and John in a later passage here, um, is saying he's called and invited not extraordinary but normal, ordinary, common people to follow him. And I'm telling you this is good news because it doesn't happen in our world. Are you all with me so far? You all following? You all okay? Okay, you ready to go till 2 o'clock? Okay, very good, that's fantastic. All right, in our fallen world, this doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You see, being close to a king in our fallen world, being close to a, someone who's achieved great kingship in our world, requires that we're a somebody. If you're going to be close to a king, you have to be a somebody. And let me prove this. How many of you got a call from Barack this week? Yeah, I know, we're a bunch of nobodies. Right? It's like, I've never been in the Oval Office. In fact, I think the FBI is, they have my picture, and they say, don't let him in Washington, D.C. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, we're a bunch of nobodies because it takes someone special to be close to a king. You know who gets to be close to a king in our world? 
uh, somebody who's made themselves great. Well, that's not very many of us. That's why most of us feel like we're outsiders. But it's not that way with Jesus' good news. You know who Jesus calls the outcasts, the disrespected, the nobodies of the world to follow him? You know why this is good news? It's because we're all really a bunch of nobodies trying to pretend we're somebody. And it makes us even more miserable because we know we're just pretending. We come to church very often and we're trying to pre pretend that we have more faith than we do, that we're better than we are, that we belong. So we don't tell the truth about ourselves and we're not honest about ourselves, that we really have doubts and we really have problems and we really did blow it this week because we don't want to be a nobody. But the truth is we are. But here's what's so cool. This is so important. You don't have to be a somebody to be included in God's kingdom. In fact, all you have to do is recognize and admit that you're not a somebody. You were never meant to be a king. You were never meant to build your own kingdom. That's what repenting is. And then you have to believe, you have to recognize that he's the only great somebody. And we don't have to make ourselves because he will make us and all we have to do is follow. Now listen, as long as I try and pretend that I'm a somebody, I am going to be miserable and broken because I don't have the capacity to be a somebody. I'll struggle and struggle and fail. And so will you. And so I just have to admit, I'll never be a somebody. I'm not meant to be the king of the universe. I'm just not meant to be that. And then all I have to do is put my faith in the only true great somebody in the universe, the one who has always been king, was meant to be king, created us so that we could know him as our king. And when we acknowledge we're not somebody and he's the great somebody, he makes us into all we were meant to be. In Jesus' day, those who genuinely followed him experienced rest, life and life to the full. And those who didn't follow him experienced the struggle and the weariness. The beginning, we showed a video of all those things breaking because they were walking away from God, but how God can restore them all. And those who follow experience restoration. Those who don't experience struggle. But if we're going to experience the good news, here's what we have to realize. It's not something we do, it's something he's done. We have to realize that we'll never be able to do enough, but he's already done enough, and all we have to do is trust him. If we're ever going to really experience the good news and follow him, then we have to understand this world is his kingdom, not our kingdom, and he's the king, not us, which means he's the priority. He's the pri he's king, not us. He's the priority, not us, not our families, not our careers, not our dreams, not our wants, not our comfort. He's the priority, not us. But when we read about the disciples, they left everything, family and career, to follow him. We go, oh my gosh, it costs too much. No. They lost nothing and gained everything. 
They finally understood, I'm not the king. He's the king. All this little junk I've heaped up in my life is nothing. I'm going to follow him. And then if God wants me to have a family, he'll make that family great because he's the king and he can make family great. And if he wants me in this career, he'll make this career great because only he can do that because he's the king and I'm not. If I'm trying to be a somebody by doing this family thing or this career thing, I am going to do nothing but struggle. He's the priority. Too many of us are following Jesus so we can get from him what we want. But here's the problem. You still see yourself as king. What I want's important. And so I'll follow him so he'll give me what I want. You're seeing yourself as king and him as servant. And that never will work. It will only lead to more struggles and burdens. You'll end up weary. If we're going to truly follow him and experience the good news, we have to repent and say, I'm not that. He's all that. And we need to turn to him. And he needs to be what we want and pursue and seek above everything else. Do you know what it looks like? Let me show you a psalmist that tells us. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. This is what it looks like when you know he's the great somebody and you need him. As the tear pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? You realize when you understand you're not king and he's king, that without him life's a struggle, that he's as important to your life as water, and you make him your pursuit. I believe most of us would answer my question earlier, which describes your life, struggle or rest. Most of us, if we're honest, would say struggle. Living under the circumstances instead of over the circumstances, of course. Because we're not seeking him as if he's as important to our lives as water. We're adding him on a Sunday or a Saturday. We're adding him once in a while when we, you know, listen to Christian radio or read a Christian book. But we're the priority. Our career's the priority. Our family's the priority. Our dreams are the priority, which means we're king, which means we're messing up everything. It's time we seek him first. And then he'll give us the life we're looking for. To experience all he wants for us, to experience the rest that we long for, he desires to give us, we have to follow him. We have to follow him. And I just need you to know, it's not always easy to follow him because we're used to being our own king. And it's not always comfortable to follow him because we're used to doing what we want to do and seems more comfortable in the moment. It's not always logical to follow him. But it's always right to follow him. Because you see, to pretend you're a king is always wrong, but to follow him as the king is always right. We can pretend to be king, but we'll never, ever, ever do it well. But he's the true king, and when we follow him, it always in the end goes well. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. He's king, you're not. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll ultimately make your path straight. This doesn't mean it'll be easy, it'll be comfortable, nothing will ever go wrong. It means he'll never blow it. It's always right to follow him. And in the end, in eternity, you'll always say, I'm glad I followed him. Because remember, to follow him means he went first. We do have to make him a priority even over family, but he did. He left his father and came to earth to be with us. He, he took not the easy path, but the difficult one, not the comfortable path, but the uncomfortable one, not the logical path, but the one that could give us the gift of redemption. And all we have to do is follow him. And when we do, repent and believe, we experience life as he designed it. This is good news. 
It's what we long for. But we have to follow two things I want to leave you with. The first is this. It can't happen in your life until you repent and believe. You've got to admit you're not king, but you've been trying to be, that you've sinned and you've messed up, and that his death, burial, and resurrection is the only hope you have. And so before I give you the last thought, I want to pray with you. And so I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. And even if you're watching online, just I encourage you to bow with me. Those of you at Brighton, just bow with me right now. And, and as we get ready to pray, I just want to encourage you, if you're living a life of struggle, maybe now is the time you stop trusting yourself and you believe in him. Just pray with me. Make my thoughts yours in this prayer. Just say, God, right now I'm repenting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop trusting myself. I'm going to stop being my own king. I'm going to confess I've sinned against you. And I'm going to put my belief, my trust in you. You're king. I'm going to ask you to forgive me because you died on the cross for me. And make my life new because you rose for me. And I'm going to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you. Let us know. We've put together information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. And if you're here in Plymouth or you're in Brighton, all you have to do is take out the connection card, fill it out, check that circle at the bottom, and then there are boxes at every exit of our different environments. Throw it in there, and we'll do the rest for you. And you can take it there in Brighton to your guest service center in your lobby. And they'll do the same for you. And if you're watching online, hit the What Next button, and the same thing will happen for you. Here's the second thing. If we're going to ultimately experience all he has for us, the good news, once we repent and believe, then it's time to follow him. When we follow him, even in a world where it's almost all bad news, we experience his good news. And you know what his good news? In the midst of darkness, he gives us light. In the midst of despair, he gives us joy. In the midst of disaster, he gives us hope because he's the good news. Let's follow him. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.